0: Right, everybody. So we are in Acts chapter 13. Uh, this is where we left off last week and you'll remember that um, Paul and Barnabas had made their way to uh, another Antioch, Antioch in Pisidia <coughs> which was uh, up in the hills from the coast of uh, as they had made their way from Cyprus and then to the port city uh, there of Perga and then On up the hills to um, Antioch and uh, Paul went through a, a rather big sermon and he told the whole history of the gospel we went over that last week and as we wrapped up last week we had the response of the people that were there so starting with verse 42 it says as they went out this is after they were in the synagogue and had heard this message as they went out the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath they they wanted more and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who as they spoke with them urged them to continue in the grace of God they wanted more and Some people followed along and said, you know, they wanted to hear more. And so Paul and Barnabas talked with them and said, continue in what you've heard. Now verse 44. It says, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So word got out. There's big doings down at the synagogue. You ought to hear this new guy preach. He's from out of town. uh, But he's pretty good. But verse 45 when the Jews saw the crowds they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves worthy of eternal life behold we are turning to the Gentiles so there's opposition remember the the Jews had had been God's chosen people, and they had this special way of relating to God, and they had uh, temple worship and sacrifices, and they had the law of Moses. And they related to God in this kind of ritualistic way. And now, in this unexpected way, they had heard about the Messiah had come, and it wasn't what they were expecting, remember. They were looking for a king, a new king, a new David that was going to... bring the nation of Israel back to its former glory in the way that it was back in the day and, and this Messiah was different it was different, a different story it wasn't what they were expecting and, and this Messiah was, was actually it sounded to them like doing away with the old law and the reason it sounded that way was because that's what was happening so they, they, weren't, they weren't liking this too much and it said they were jealous Paul and Barnabas said, you know, we've told it first to you, but now you're pushing it aside. So now we're turning it to the Gentiles. Now, the ironic thing was, the story that Paul was preaching to them was the culmination of their story. It was the culmination of the Jews' own story. But they weren't to hear it. And of course, at least this faction. Verse 47, it says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. If you'll hold your finger there and look back to Luke chapter 2. As it turns out, written also by Luke. Luke. And of course Luke chapter 2 is a long chapter and we know that it starts off with those familiar words about in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus Um, we hear about the birth of Jesus and so forth and then if you go down to verse 28 by this time Jesus is at the temple and being presented there um, uh, as it was commanded. I guess maybe verse 25 of Luke chapter 2. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit Uh, This um, also looked back even further to some prophecy in Isaiah. But Jesus had always been for both. Had always been for the Jews, had always been for the Gentiles. And here we have reference to that same prophecy. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth now we're in verse 48 back in acts 13 it says and when the gentiles heard this they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed and the word of the lord was spreading throughout the whole region but the jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and they started persecution against paul and barnabas and drove them out of their district but they that is paul and barnabas shook the off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit." So there were converts there at Antioch in Pisidia but toward the end some disruption uh, came up so much so that they felt compelled to move on to the next place. I do want to comment on this one verse um, you know as one of the things about going verse by verse through the books of the Bible and we encounter uh, sometimes key verses um, verse 48 says and when the Gentiles heard this I began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed uh, this is one of the verses that connects up with some of Paul's teaching uh, we talked about in Ephesians that uh, this concept of election that God Has appointed some people to to be his and of course it's hard for us to get our heads around that from from my perspective we we hear the gospel message and the Holy Spirit convicts us and and we have a response to that and and we uh, choose to believe Um, that's the human side of the thing the divine side of the thing is that God has elected those he has appointed those um, who are going to believe, and and only in the in the heart of a of a gracious and just God does that make any sense at all. But we can't sidestep these verses, and and there it is. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So they move on to the next place, verse fourteen. Now it says, now at Iconium. So where is Iconium? So um, we talked about they landed at this port city. And they went up, worked their way up into the hills to Antioch at Pisidia. And then Iconium is basically heading east. Heading east, um, they went to Iconium. Now Iconium um, was um, uh, a nice area. It was on a plateau. It it had a lot of good agriculture going on there. it was maybe kind of like it is here, not too far from the sea, not too far from the mountains. It was a nice area. Uh, There was a nice commercial area there and um, it was uh, probably about uh, 90 miles away they say from Antioch and it was on one of the main uh, roads. It also had a little bit of an independent streak they said um, that um, although of course the whole region was governed by Rome, uh, there had been a heavy Greek influence um, in the years prior, and they kind of liked it that way. So they, their politics was a little uh, more democratic. Um, you know, they had um, a public organization uh, like maybe it would have been in Greece. So um, here we have verse four—I mean, uh, verse one in chapter 14—and. The interesting thing about these different places that they go through is um, that they all have their own little flavor to them, all have their own little character. Even though they were, you know, what we would think is one general region, they don't have to travel too far to see the differences. And you could imagine, you know, without uh, our own, uh, you know, things like the internet and things like national media and that sort of thing has a, the ability to kind of align, maybe not always in a good way, but generally kind of get us all on the same page about things, um, uh, not just as a country, but also perhaps even as the world. But you can imagine without those kind of widespread ways of communication, each community might retain a lot more of their own culture. Uh, because. Um, uh, the the overall influences were were different. Um, so the one of the interesting things about it as we talk about these little places is is um, how are the methods and so forth um, that Paul and Barnabas use similar uh, and often they are, and how are they different? And then also how is the response to their message similar and how is it different? So just something to uh, kind of keep in the back of your mind as we go through this. So verse one. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Does that sound familiar? It does. Where was the place where they usually headed to first? Well, let's go to the synagogue. That's where Bible believers hang out. That's where you know people who at least know who the God of the Bible is, the God of the Old Testament, let's start there. So that's where they went and they spoke there uh, so that means they you know at least you know the, they were given the opportunity to to speak and there were results this is both Jews and Greeks believed verse 2 but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers does that sound familiar yes it does <laughs> it's starting to be a theme But the unbelieving Jews turned up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now let me just pause and say how powerful is the ability to put a negative notion in someone else's mind. Right? Sometimes you just got to get them started in the right direction. If you know what a person's preconceived notions are, if you know what their fears are, if you know what their biases are, then it doesn't take much to get in there and to speak to those fears Uh, you know, as Paul and Barnabas this is sounding very against Moses, what they're preaching you know we love Moses we love Moses we love the law do you hear them talking much about the law no me neither I don't know you know we've got this nice synagogue here they're saying we don't necessarily need that you guys put up a lot of money for this some of you guys have your name on the donation board you know I don't know about these guys so if you know what if you know what's gonna trip somebody's trigger doesn't take so much so much to get you turned the wrong direction now that means we need to pay really close attention to what our own biases are, right? We've talked about this before. What are our weaknesses? What are those things that somebody could say to us that might get us going? Perhaps in the wrong direction. You know, um, the worst thing in the world is to think that you don't have biases. We've talked about that before, I think. Verse three. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it, fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So here they are they've gotten some resistance, but unlike Antioch Basidia where they just left when they got resistance, they hung around for a while. They hung around until it was going to get really violent. Um, they spent I don't know, but a pretty considerable time there um, and then they felt it was appropriate to move on so back to your map. Got Iconium. Now they're going to head south, not too far away, to Lystra. Now I think this is one of the more interesting little passages. Um, Lystra was, (coughs) it's hard to think of a good example without sounding very stereotypical, but but we'll go with it. Anybody from West Virginia? (laughs) Anybody from Appalachia? anybody a hillbilly (laughs) I just all right we have we have one proud hillbilly Um, as I read this I kind of had this kind of hillbilly backwoods countrified you know place thinking about Lystra you know where Where when people said, you know, well I'll give them a holler, they really meant I'll give them a holler. (laughs) Right? A little little backwards perhaps, a little isolated. So, they move on though. Verse 8. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments, rushed out to the crowd, saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We're also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. So, really fascinating story. So, Paul's preaching sees a guy who has never walked, could not use his feet, was crippled from birth, and Paul looked at him, saw that he had faith, told him to get up, and he did. Now these folks in last training never seen something like this. They had no idea what had gone on. This was amazing. This was amazing now in this backwoods area they would have occasionally had traveling people maybe a fortune teller or something who you know might have a few tricks up their sleeve and might take advantage of somewhat maybe of a backwards population no offense to our hillbilly here. so when they saw a true legit miracle oh my gosh they were amazed now the background of this is, and I'm, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to read this, but in this part of the region, this fit in perfectly with a legend that was there. And here's the legend. It says, according to the legend, Zeus and Hermes once came to the Phrygian hill country. This is where they were. And they were disguised as mortals seeking lodging. Though they asked at a thousand homes, none took them in. Finally, at a humble cottage of straw and reeds, an elderly couple freely welcomed them with a banquet that strained their poor resources, and in appreciation the gods transformed the cottage into a temple with a golden roof and marble columns. So they appointed a priest and a priestess of the temple, who instead of dying became an oak and a linden tree And as for the inhospitable people, the gods destroyed their houses. So if you grew up with this legend, you did not want to be the couple that didn't recognize Zeus and Hermes when they came to your town. So when these two guys from out of town who didn't speak the local dialect actually did a legit miracle for a guy that they knew they knew this guy they knew he had never walked immediately they didn't want to be turned into whatever and have their houses destroyed of course oh my gosh here it is we're not missing this chance let's bring on the sacrifice so in many cities the temple of Zeus, which would have been the main god, it was a big deal. Um, multiple priests and so forth. This was a small little place. They had their little temple, but just the one priest, not a lot of other people. And here he comes with his ox and he's gonna do the best he can you know, to to pay homage to these gods. And, and then of course, Paul and was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is not, no. No, in fact, this is totally opposite of what we're trying to tell you. We're trying to tell you to get away from these people. There's a living God. And of course, in this whole system, um, uh, they would have had multiple gods, you know, a God involved with the crops and all this sort of stuff. And that's why they say, you know, the real living God is the one that's been giving you the rains and, and giving you the good crops. And, you know, we're talking about the true God here, the true living God. And this is who we're attesting to. You know, please, this is not what we're about. and they tore their clothes to show that they weren't gods. And apparently Hermes, they, they call, Paul was Hermes, apparently Hermes was known as the messenger of the gods. And Zeus was, you know, the more powerful. But um, apparently it was known that gods would give you a particular stare. So when Luke says Paul looked intently at this man, it kind of conjured up that thing and and also, gods were thought to speak with a very loud and authoritative voice. So when it, he says, Paul really spoke directly to this man. You know, it kind of fits with what they thought of as gods. And I don't know if the fact that Zeus was thought to be from Cyprus and Barnabas was Cyprus. I don't know. Maybe Barnabas was a big guy. Uh, maybe that all just fit in their in their mind. And and that's that's how they went. But. Um, just a fascinating little foray to the to the hill country there and um, uh, what's interesting about this this is in uh, we'll see if this is true I, I, I want to I believe our most of the commentators I read but this really surprised me it says that except for the time later in Acts when we're going to hear the opposite situation where Paul is at Athens with not backcountry people but learned people, the elite of the day who were curious to hear about him, that these are the only two times when Paul didn't talk to the Jews. Interesting even though he says we're all about the Gentiles, there are only two times he actually didn't talk to the Jews. He didn't give up on the Jews. He kept talking to them over and over and over. So this was, this was one of those times when he didn't go to the synagogue and he was just uh, talking to our, uh, our hill country folks. All right, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds. All right, so he didn't they didn't get any opposition at Lystra, in fact, to the contrary, if they had hung around there very long, they probably would have built a temple for Paul and Barnabas. So they moved on. But you know, here we have these these Jewish folks who are gathering steam. There's this anti-Christian movement that's building, and now they're gonna. You know, the protest the protest is building there. Um, so. The people in Antioch went to Iconium. They gathered up some like-minded people. So where'd they head? <laughs> they headed to Lystra. You know. So anyway, they caught up with him here. And it says, but Jews from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. All right, so here's another city. Derby, a little further east and a little further south. Apparently um, this place has um, only been recently discovered uh, archaeologically speaking, and um, it's in Turkey, of course. And uh, we have them at at Derby. Uh, let's see. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they then returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord, in whom they had believed now in those short verses that's a lot of work that they did right look back they go down they preached the derby and that was as far as they went on, on this particular circuit it so says they preached the gospels made many cities and then they They went back. They went back to Lystra, back to Iconium, back to Antioch. They're kind of going back, and now they're they're it says strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Now, think about all these new Christians, many of whom were maybe raised in the temple. So they had some Old Testament to go on. Many Greeks who maybe didn't, but certainly all of this is new. There's no New Testament to leave them with. There's no curriculum to say, hey, do this till I come back. So what do you think they did? They probably just, well, they started praying and the Holy Spirit, of course, was there to teach them. But when Paul came back through, they probably had a lot of questions by then, right? A lot of questions. You know, Paul do, do we still go to the synagogue? Do, should we still be worshipping? We hear some people are worshipping on Sunday? What's up with that? Should we, is, should we be doing that? Um, think about all the, all the things We heard we heard Jesus had this, this Lord's Supper thing that we're supposed to be doing. Um, how do we do that? You know I mean, think about all the things that Paul wrote in all his letters. How much of that has to do with how we do church nowadays? Well, they had no idea. So it's kind of he's kind of saying, you know, how do we how do we live like Christians? What does that mean? How did do, what does that mean? So he's going back through, he's encouraging them, he's saying, you know, there's still going to be trouble. This was not exactly a Christian friendly place. It was as pagan as it was when they got there, save for those souls that met Jesus, you know, it's all about the gods, and you know, still a lot of temple worship, and you know, most of your temples you had your various prostitutes, and I mean, this was still a crazy place. How do we live like that? And he, so said, so they appointed elders for them in every church. They committed them to the Lord. You know, kind of. I don't know if that's necessarily an ordination, but it might be. They're trying to strengthen these people this concept of passing on and, and ordination and so, so forth um, um, it's interesting only in verse 4 it says but the people of the city were divided some sided with the Jews and some with the Apostles the word apostle there in verse 4 And then also in verse 14, it says, But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments, rushed into the crowd. Apparently, these are the only two times in the book that they are called, Barnabas and Paul, are called apostles. Historically, um, we think of the apostles as the original 12. Later, Paul calls himself an apostle, um, one called by God to be sent out. Um, So that's interesting. But. Anyway, this concept that if he has this authority as one who was called himself by Jesus, then it would kind of give him the authority to appoint these elders, to leave them in charge, so to speak. Um, So you have a little bit of this succession. All right, verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. He's working their way back down to the coast. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, They went down to Italia. These two places are are very near the coast where they um, came. The Italia was definitely the main uh, port town. And from there they sailed to Antioch. This is Antioch of Syria where they first started. Let's see, Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples. They were there for a while. They were there for a while. So, this is what we would call the completion of Paul's first missionary journey. I came across an interesting concept that I had not thought about before, but one commentator says, you know, this concept of the missionary journey is actually just something that we have kind of put onto the Bible as a way of understanding it, but Luke never calls these missionary journeys. I said, well, that's interesting. And I was thinking about if you thought of your life, I'm sure there have been a number of you that have moved around a little bit. I was here for a while. I was here for a while. Had a job change. I was here for a while. While you were in the midst of all that, you weren't thinking of that as some big journey. You were just moving. So. I just think that's interesting because they say that the history of that concept goes back to around the 16 1700s and there was a a missionary society that was trying to um, basically get people to commission missionaries and send them out to the field and then have them come back and report and everything and they kind of use this as an example to support this concept, which is interesting that this is this notion is only a few hundred years old. Um, Anyway, um, I'll have that in the supplementary material if you want to explore that a little bit, but I thought that was interesting. Back in the, um, back in the 80s, and there's this song still shows up on like various advertisements and TV shows and so forth. There was a, a hard rock song, but the the title of it uh, or the chorus was should I stay or should I go you've heard this so and I'm sorry I've had it stuck in my head since I thought about this this morning and and I'm sorry to those of you that know that song who will now have that stuck in your head until (laughs) you get the first hymn to wash it out but um, (laughs) Paul and Barnabas had this notion everywhere they went should I stay or should I go and their answer was different depending on the climate and I thought that was just interesting. You don't, you don't hear, oh, the Holy Spirit told me to go down to Lystra. Mm-hmm. No. I think they use their own wisdom, their own sin. Where do we go from here? It's not looking too good. Um, they just tried to stone us. Where do we head next? Um, you know, I think sometimes, and perhaps most of the time, the most normative thing as we're making decisions in life is that we use the wisdom that God's given us about how do I make wise choices to do the things that God wants me to do. I don't have to wait for God to, you know, spell out the answer in my you know bowl of alphabet cereal. You know, it I can use my own thinking. So they in most of these cases use some of their judgment. And then the other thing to think about is you had two groups, right? Now there's an old experiment you can do with elementary kids. You take the iron filings and you put them on a sheet of paper, and it's all random, and then you drop a magnet on it, and half the filings go to one end of the magnet and half the filings go to the other. What do we call that? It's a polarizing thing. The filings go to the poles of the magnet, the north and south ends of the magnet. That's where we get this concept of polarization. The gospel is a polarizing thing. Nowadays, lots of people have opinions. And sometimes they're polarizing. You either love it or hate it, right? Is the gospel that we live and talk about Still a little polarizing, and if it's not, why isn't it? That's your thought for the week. All right, any comments as you wrap up? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the way that we can get in and and travel with Paul and Barnabas and see the things that they saw and the experience the things that they experienced because of the Holy Spirit writing through Luke. And we thank you for the gospel and we pray that you'd help us to speak it in such a way that it can be polarizing when it needs to be and that we can continue to, um, to use it to, to preach the good news. Uh, we thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.